Welcome to the CSA Survivor Speak podcast. I am your host, Wendy Ward Hoffer, a mother, author, and educator, also a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. The purpose of this podcast is to provide empathy and hope to survivors, as well as to educate the community about the lifelong impacts of childhood sexual abuse. Find us on Instagram at CSA Survivors Speak Podcast, all one word, for more information and resources. In each episode, I talk with a courageous survivor willing to share their personal story. Before we get started, I just want to remind listeners that this content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself. Take breaks and seek support as needed. Thank you so much for listening. All right, my guest today is Janie Contreras Johnson. She is an artist in Denver and a friend of mine, and I'm so delighted she's um, joined us today to share about her experience. So Janie, can you just tell us a little, what are you up to these days? Um, What's giving you energy? Hello. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, So I guess recently, um, I really like to work with, you know, paint and I've done it, you know, I've written, I've done a lot of things, but most recently I started getting into working with bug displays and that has been very interesting and very fun, a nice creative way to work with you know, the metaphor of life and bringing something dead back into something beautiful and loved and to be on display. So that's been my, my most recent creative outlet. Wow. I love to see some bug display art. I will show you. Yeah. (laughs) I have a dead scorpion in my bedroom right now. Oh, wow. You're brave. I know. Um, So Janie, unfortunately, you and I um, shared the experience of childhood sexual abuse, and I wonder what you'd like to tell just about what happened to you, and then um, we can talk about the impacts of that. Yep. So I was um, five, five years old when my older sister brought home a much older boyfriend, um, and he began molesting me when I was around six, um, Mm. all the way through. I think the last incident was when I was 16. Mm. So it was kind of a, you know, lots of different time periods and lots of different interactions with him. Um, It almost feels like that part wouldn't be as hard to overcome if it weren't compounded with all of the, the scenarios that happened around it. So when I came forward to my family and it took me a long time to, to come forward to them and to let them know what was happening. But when I finally did, I was 14 years old. Mm. And when I told his wife, my sister, um, she completely dismissed it, you know, told me that it had happened to him too. And that she, she essentially said something along the lines of, well, what do you want me to do about it? Do you want me to call the cops? And it, nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. And so that made it much harder to try to talk about it with anyone else 
you know, um, I didn't reach out to anybody else in my family because I thought they would have the same reactions. I barely told friends and my husband, I did tell, and he has been a huge support for me. You know, I think as survivors, we end up finding community elsewhere and we end up finding support anywhere that we, we can, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so that still, let still leaves a ripple family, you know, in terms of how family has reacted and stuff, it still leaves a big ripple. Mm -hmm. I don't think that my scenario is uncommon or, you know, different for most survivors. I think we all experience it very similarly. Mm. It sounds like you were so brave to come forward and yet your sister and your family weren't quite ready to um, really believe you and take appropriate action. I'm so sorry yeah. that happened. Yeah, thank you. Unfortunately, I think it's that most people aren't equipped to handle it, you know, mm -hmm. regardless of how much time mm -hmm. there are some people in my family who are still in denial, you know, who still either refuse to accept it or who have excused it. Mm -hmm. I think for fear of, you know, being the ones who make a wave yeah. and I don't think that there's ever going to be a time where everyone in my family who has interacted with this person, I don't think there's going to be a time that everyone will see their true colors, you know, mm -hmm. regardless of how much stuff comes out because <laughs> there evidence is everywhere, but. Right. So there's such a impact on the bigger family system when we have to accept or when we're invited to accept the truth of what happened. I'm just wondering, what would you have wished? Like, what would be the, the response that could have really been supportive and helpful? I think what I wanted at the time was to be completely whisked away from that scenario. Mm. I wanted my sister to say, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, we're going to make sure this never happens again and call the police do all of the things that you see in Lifetime movies and put them in jail, <laughs> go to trial, get the justice, do all these things, and then still be guaranteed love and support and, you know, no shame. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, you walk into the scenario where you're, you're telling your truth, you walk into that scenario with a bunch of shame, and then you walk out with it still. Mm -hmm. There's no, you know, nobody takes that away from you. Yeah. So, but that shame really does belong to the abuser, the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Oh, well, I wish that could have happened for you. And I hope that by sharing that today, people who hopefully hear this can get some new insight on how important it is for survivors that we be believed and supported and encouraged to use all the resources available to recover and seek justice. Um, yeah. And now in spite of all these challenges, you are living an amazing life today. Um, you have a wonderful partner, you have an incre incredible art, and you have a great career also. And so um, I'd love to know what helped you kind of recover yourself from those experiences and create um, what you wanted in this, in this life. Yeah, so it took a long time. I will say that. 
and I I am I was just so incredibly lucky I think to be able to have moved away from my family was the first step for me um and then also reaching out for support that was something that in my family was not the norm we didn't you know therapy anything like that would have not been you know okay and still I somehow got the courage to call rain and I talked to a counselor and I remember even minimizing my experience and saying well it's not like it was you know a violent rape or anything like that mm-hmm. and the counselor on the other line thankfully responded with telling me well it doesn't matter trauma is trauma you know mm-hmm. and it was the first time that I'd ever felt that trauma validated mm-hmm. and she gave me resources to find you know to find a a therapist in my area and I ended up seeing her saw her for years and just gradually getting away from my family um and not that that's that, not that that's the story for everyone but for me my family was that their culture was so ingrained with protecting the abuser that I think it would have been really hard for me to flourish in that environment mm-hmm. you know constantly feeling trampled on in order to uplift this person who had done all this damage to me but was still seen as somebody worthy and you know brave to someone to other people it was just that was not the environment for me and so little by little I you know I moved away I got married I was in therapy I accumulated these really supportive friends who understood me and who accepted me for everything, you know, the good, the bad, everything. And then an art, art was a huge, is a huge piece still, you know, anytime that there's a feeling of this internal, these things that are, you know, you're struggling with and you can't get out, being able to get them out through art feels so cathartic mm-hmm. yeah. so it's been it's been a lot of different pieces right. um but yeah it all of it together cultivating all those little masses I think is what helped me mm-hmm. so you really had the courage to not only reach out for support but also to step away from an environment that wasn't serving you and Yes. I can see how that was helpful, but also maybe a loss, you know? Oh, absolutely. I still feel that loss. Yeah. Every, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every one of my sister's birthdays, I remember. And I think, you know, I wish there's a part of me that still goes back to wishing that I could have just shut up and just put up with everything and allowed myself to continue you know, in, in that pattern, that ingrained pattern of being meek and being quiet and being, making everything okay and smoothing everything out. Mm. But what I'm, what I'm mourning and what I'm grieving is not a reality. What Mm. I'm mourning and grieving is, is the wish, you know, Mm. I wish things were better. I wish I had had a supportive family, a more cookie cutter family, you Mm. know, Mm -hmm. and that's just, no matter how much I wish, no matter how much I, I 
want to go back, it's, that's never going to happen. And acceptance, I think has also been another big piece. There's grief can, is always going to be part of moving on. The grief gets smaller, but it's always going to be there, you know? Yeah. And it sounds like you've really created a new family for yourself of supported, supportive allies and your husband and been able to find that. Yeah. To find it and appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times there were for many years, there were these people in front of me that I didn't see because I wanted to, I wanted it to be someone else. I wanted it to be my mom, wanted it to be my sister. You know, I wanted those qualities to somehow be transferred onto other people because that's what I was missing. Mm -hmm. And instead I have this amazing group of people with other characteristics and it doesn't come with strings attached. (laughs) That's the best part. You know, it's, yeah. I'm so glad for you. So you've shared about how trauma has really impacted your relationship with your family of origin. And I'm wondering what other ways has it sort of shown up in your life either throughout your recovery process or even today? Yeah. Um, So uh, like I was telling you before, I remember when I first started therapy, people would describe the end goal to me as having trauma be just one slice of the pie chart of your entire life. You know, it was going to be this one piece and everything around it was going to be your family, your friends, your job, everything else is just around it. But in my experience, it was more like trauma left a tinge on everything. And it was that, that small discoloration might be getting smaller, but that's, it's still on every single piece. Mm -hmm. Um, It still touches my relationship. It still touches my friendships. It still touches my work. You know, it touches my art Mm -hmm. and instead of it being its own little solid puzzle piece, it's not, it's that little black is on every single puzzle piece. It just depends on how much touches it, you know? Mm, yeah, I, I know. Could, um, would you be willing to share maybe an example of another area of your life and how specifically the trauma shows up? Sure. Maybe like at so, work or something. Yeah. At work, work is a, is a perfect example. Um, for work, I travel. And so whenever I'm out of town or I'm going to a new place, it's unfamiliar to me. There's always this thought in the back of my mind that I cannot handle it. I, I, this is too much for me. I'm in my mind. Sometimes I'm still this little child navigating a very adult world. You know, all of these bad things are looming around me because that's very much what my childhood was like. Mm -hmm. Unpredictable adult things were going to be popping up at around any corner. And that's how it feels sometimes when I'm working, I feel like uh, something bad comes up and suddenly I'm a child again and I can't, I don't know what's going on. I'm six years old and I don't know how to handle this financial problem or whatever it is. Um, And that transference of sexual abuse onto every normal everyday normal things happens a lot you know mm-hmm. I think it, it happened more when I was more actively 
hurting. Mm-hmm. Right now, at this point in my life, I feel a lot more healed. I feel a lot more growth has happened. And um, there are more times of happiness and joy than there are of fear and isolation and, you know, depression. Right. But it's still there. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad to know it, it's improving. I, I am curious, like when that was happening or is happening as you travel and you get sort of triggered and thrown back to that younger you, what are some things that you found that really can help you to come back to the present moment and restore your safety? For me, it's always a constant reminder. It was this um, having these moments of saying, okay, well, right now you're 30 years old or, you know, however old I was at the time and saying, you have feet in Colorado, you're no longer in Illinois where the abuse happened. You know, it's those reminders of what my life is now versus what my brain is trying to make me believe Mm -hmm. that helped immensely. If I had the time to logically go through it, that's what, that's what helped. Mm -hmm. Um, If I did not have the time to logically go through it, then it was my therapist and I actually worked on um, having a list of resources, you know, either quick resources, medium resources, or long-term resources. So a quick resource might be putting a song that I really like on mm-hmm. and listening to it. Um, obviously breathing, if that's a problem, calling my husband, calling a friend, um, medium resource might be doing some art, writing a poem, you know, something that can focus my mind on something else and maybe externalize some of those emotions. Mm-hmm. And then long-term resources would be making an appointment with my therapist, knowing that it's, it can't be immediately, it can't be right now, but maybe in the next week, we can talk about this one instance. Mm-hmm. So having those go-to ideas can really help you in the moment, come up with a strategy and not have to go on that sort of roller coaster of panic yes. and anxiety. Yeah. Yep. What a great therapist you have. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been love her. (laughs) I graduated from therapy, but I still, every time anything, you know, I I might think, oh, I need to, I need to talk to somebody about this. I still have her on my, my contact list. That's a gift. I'm so glad you found out to Sarah. Yay, Sarah. (laughs) Um, So Janie, you are one of the rare survivors um, that I know who's really been comfortable and willing to bring your story out into the public and, um, you know, use your name and talk about um, your experience, um, which is such a generous way, I think, to support others in understanding this issue. I'm just curious what brought you to that place of really getting comfortable um, being sort of out on this issue. I'm glad. I'm glad you asked that. Um, it is very important to me. I, I do say my full name when I'm doing this. If it weren't considered, if, if there were no legal, if there were no legal consequence, I would gladly tell you everybody's name. But um, <laughs> the reason that I am so open about it is because when I was 13, 14, struggling with this by myself, it would have made a world of difference to be able to put successful people or not, not successful in the traditional way, but I mean, people who've, who are living lives, you know, Mm -hmm. happy lives, 
normal lives, everyday lives, I would have loved to see those people say, I, I have all of this stuff now, but when I was a kid, I didn't, I had, you know, the complete opposite. I had no money. My parents didn't protect me. I had abusers in my household. Like all of these things were happening to me. And yet still there's hope, you know, there is another way to live. And that is very important to me. I think it's a great mission to try to bring that out to more people um, because it's such a shameful thing to live with. You know, it's, it's not that it's a shameful, you know, thing that happened to you, but everyone brings so much baggage to the topic of childhood sexual abuse that it makes you feel ashamed and alone and isolated. And like, there's no other way of living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I also think that part of my story is cultural. I, my family is Mexican. It's different. Um, there's a lot of differences culturally. It's almost like you're, you're living your whole life speaking in two languages always. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to navigate therapy in a cultural way, which is just, well, I grew up knowing it completely different, even though you're telling me these words, that's not, that has not been my experience. Mm. And I've also lived it because I've lived in America. So I have, you know, it's, it's all, it, it is very much like just having this dual perspective at the same time, which is exhausting. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also another stigma to mental health for Latinx communities. And so that's another thing that is important to me to show that therapy's great. Everyone deserves therapy. You know, mm -hmm. it's a should be a fundamental right. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So you have become the role model that you wished you might have had as a teen trying to yeah. navigate this all alone. Yeah. What what an amazing journey to get to this place. Um, you mentioned just shame and all the ways that shame comes up. And I, I feel like that's a really universal experience for survivors. And I'm just curious how you think of that shame now, like as someone who's really healed and come to this courageous place. It's, it's funny because it's one of those things where I don't know exactly where it happened, where that turning point shifted. You know, I don't know where all my life I grew up thinking that I couldn't even say the word molested. That was a word. It just like made me feel so icky. I just couldn't, couldn't bring my, my mouth to form those words. But, um, now it's just, it doesn't even feel like this charged word anymore. It's, it feels like putting your shoes on, you know, it's just this very normal thing. Um, and I honestly don't know how it happened. I do remember there were a lot of different um, moments in therapy, in support groups, and listening to people speak, like um, Marilyn Vanderber. I remember listening to her speak. And the more exposure I got to words like, to phrases like, I was sexually abused, I was molested. I was XXX, you know, whatever. Um, 
the less triggering it was to say those words. Mm-hmm. It normalized this. I don't want to, this um, position that we've all been put into. And I think that's the key phrase too, is that it, you're not doing it to yourself. You, you know, no survivor did it to themselves, regardless of the circumstance. It was someone else taking control of the situation and putting them there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the exposure to those kinds of ideas is what really helped me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and having other um, folks normalize those those words and those experiences around you. Yeah, and validate that your experience was harmful and it was sad and scary and not your fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not your fault. I think that's such an important message. And also, you're not alone. You you seem mm-hmm. to have met up with a lot of powerful, confident survivors who could really validate your experience. Um, Yep, absolutely. So if you could just give one message to, you know, the younger you or a young survivor who might be hearing this recording, um, what do you think is most important for um, survivors sort of beginning their healing journey? I I wrote, somebody gave me a journal. um, I think it, it was, a it's a Zen, journal actually. And, um, in it, there's a prompt to write to your younger self. Mm. And so I wrote to, I think it was my eight-year-old self that I chose. And the first thing I said was, I'm sorry that you're here right now, but know that it's not always going to be like that. Mm -hmm. And so many things change from the time that I started therapy. So many things changed from now, from then until now, I started therapy at 2021. And I would say that I felt healed enough to um, graduate from therapy and start, you know, talking things out with myself, instead of having to talk it out with my therapist, I felt comfortable handling my life's challenges on my own, right. On my own two feet, knowing that I have a full support system mm-hmm. and I all can, I can always go back to therapy, but so that was a good 11, 11 years that I was in therapy actively. Wow. And so many things changed, you know, little by little things changed and it was horrible and it was hard at first and I couldn't sleep and I would cry and I would, feel so angry and feel like this was never going to end and things would come up and I feel, I felt like I was back at square one and it was just never going to change. And those moments were there a lot at the beginning and then they were there less. So seven Mm. years in Mm. nine years in, you know, and even now I'm out of therapy now for about two years Mm -hmm. that will still happen. But at this point, I have enough resources either within myself or enough trust in others and in other resources that when that happens, I have more tools available to me. Mm -hmm. That's a big difference. So when I wrote to my eight-year-old self, I said, things will change. It's hard right now. And those things, first of all, the abuse doesn't happen, right? And if it does, 
I know how to handle it this time. Mm -hmm. I'm better equipped. Right. Right. So that message of hope for your younger self. And also, I, I just want to salute your perseverance. You're really talking about a decade of work to get to this grounded place that you've arrived at. And that's a lot of work, Janie, and, and a lot of work that you didn't really sign up for, but that Absolutely. you needed to do. Um, was there ever a time when you were like, I'm done with this therapy stuff. I just want to, you know. I was so resentful about obviously the abuse, but mm-hmm. more so the therapy, the cost of therapy, right. the time, the driving back and forth. I yeah. mean, nobody is going to, nobody's going to reimburse me for that. And if I mm-hmm. could, I would send my abuser an I like an itemized receipt of how much you have cost me just in financials um I went through a phase where I was like I was actually thinking about civil court Mm -hmm. just for the cost of therapy um but yeah it's it's too much emotional labor but whole other story but anyway um yeah it's it was it, it is a big commitment. It is a lot, you know, and I think it's also important to note that therapy, there's so many different options. I think a big obstacle that I had to overcome was cost. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so when I was 21, the idea of having to spend a hundred dollars plus on an hour session every week was incredibly daunting and not something that I could afford. And thankfully there were a lot of resources that were available either free or very low cost. Mm -hmm. And that's how it had, like how it worked for me for the Mm -hmm. first several years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so thankfully there are those things available. Yeah, but it's a big investment and, and an investment well worth it because you really invested in yourself. 100%. Yep. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm so glad you made the, that decision, not, not once, but every week and every day to really value yourself and take care of yourself so that you could live your best life. Um, Absolutely. So as we kind of wrap up, is there any sort of parting messages to the world or what you wish folks could understand about this issue um, that we maybe haven't touched on yet? I think the only other thing would be just the message of hope. Because I think when you're actively trying to heal yourself and you see all of these things either on the media or in the news and you think, you know, um, it's a, it's a broken system sometimes, but that doesn't have to apply to you and what you can do for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't take value away from who you are as a person and what you do. Um, And you are worthy of healing and growth and moving away from trauma. Trauma does not define you, even though it's part of you, but there's so much more to the world, you know, so much more that is available to you personally and beyond. Well, thank you so much, Janie, for sharing your experience and your wisdom um, in this podcast. I'm so grateful for 
you as a role model for so many of us who are striving to navigate what what is a difficult journey, but in the end, finding finding hope. So I wish you all the very best. And I do really look forward to seeing your bug art. That sounds fascinating and cool and inspiring. So thank you for sharing about that as well. Absolutely. Thank you.